Welcome to Talk with the Texan, Money and Life with Troy Eckert. This program is thought-provoking, informative, entertaining, and down to business. We face facts and ideas about how to make, protect, and build your net worth. You'll get over three decades of frontline experiences and real-life examples of what to do and the pitfalls to avoid. Now, here's Troy Eckert. Hey, 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 everyone. Thanks for joining me for today's show. This is Troy Eckert, and the show is Talk with the Texan Money and Life. And it's been a crazy last seven days for me. I had something experienced in the last seven days I haven't had in over probably three or four years, and I thought I'd share it with you. I actually was under the weather a little bit last week and felt like somebody had run over me with a semi-truck. So I actually go to the doctor and I get a diagnosis and he came back and said, it's not COVID. It's actually the flu. It's the true flu. Gave me a flu shot or flu medicine that night and I felt 100% better the next day. And I thought I'd share that with you because it was almost like a happy day. I felt like I had achieved something I haven't seen in two or three years, which is we actually had a process by which a human being can be sick It has nothing to do with COVID-19 or any of the variants. And in fact, I was able to take the uh, normal flu medicine, felt better within 24 hours, and there wasn't all the hoopla surrounding the typical COVID. So I just thought I would share with you that wonderful event that happened the last seven days, even though I didn't feel very good. I thought it was a little bit of victory. Hey, listen, today's show is going to be pretty simple. I I am an expert, absolute expert at oil and gas exploration and oil and gas investments here in the United States. I started my career in 1985 as an investment broker with a small licensed firm here in Dallas, Texas. I currently have my own company, uh, which mainly manages only high net worth investors' assets in the energy space. And in fact, uh, we are pretty much a family-run office. But what I've learned and what I continue to see and hear from many, many listeners, as well as those that follow me online, the fact of the matter is, is that I am still baffled by some of the logic that investors use. Now, remember, the show is money and life. And it's really a combination of trying to do things in life for yourself, for your health, your family. But it's also about making good decisions about your personal finances, about your uh, net worth, about your job, career, about investment decisions. Now, the show I try to get out all the time is I try to get out stuff that's going to be useful and information that you can use in your day-to-day life, both personally as well as in your investments and maybe even in your business. Today, I want to share with you a little bit about what I'm seeing going on in the marketplace. And it's, it's not a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's just called reality. And the reality is when you make really, really crazy financial returns, like what have been made over the last 13 years, where you really have not seen a market correction since 2008, people start buying in their own crazy belief that they're geniuses. They start believing that they're uh, real estate gurus. Um, You see them forming these clubs and they're high-fiving each other. And they're all talking about how they started with $2 million. Now they're worth 10 or $15 million because they're the smartest guy out there and they know exactly what to do. Um, You see the same thing happening now, today, in the environment. Here we are uh, in the last part of 2021. Been a very interesting year. But now I'm starting to have conversations with uh, lots and lots of very wealthy individuals. And it's, it's a little bit baffling to me, but I also get it. Uh, the baffling part is, is that it's almost like the more money you make, the less time you have to be prudent, the less time you have to be careful. And by the way, I'm guilty of this myself. Uh, the less time you have to really do basic fundamental. Now, I think last couple of uh, uh, shows we had, we talked about due diligence. We talked about things like uh, the kind of questions asked, the kind of deals to look at, how to watch out for the uh, wolves in the uh, sheep's clothing, that type of stuff. Today, I want to do a little bit different. I want to talk to you about something that's very near and dear to my heart. I want to talk to you about the oil and gas industry in the United States and investing in it. So, you know, today, I really think the show is kind of talking about black gold, you know, the U.S. oil and gas market. Now, it's really important today because it's in the news the last month or two, and it's going to be even more in the news over the next 24 to 36 months. Why? Why is oil and gas news? Well, in the first half of 2020, the oil and gas industry was in the news because Russia, Saudi Arabia, and OPEC decided to flood the market in the world and drove oil prices here in the U.S. down to negative numbers for at least one trading day and pretty much cut the legs off the oil and gas industry. 
Now, that was a good thing for consumers. Consumers got cheaper fuel. They got cheaper gas in their car. Their electric bills were down. I mean, manufacturing costs were down. Transportation costs were down. It was a good thing. You had a 35% reduction in consumption, which means that there was less people using oil and gas. So all in all, the earth got a little cleaner. Oil and gas companies got crippled as far as the, the, the amount of profits they were making. The consumer benefited. We had the largest buildup of oil storage in the history of the planet. We had like 1.2 billion barrels that were put into storage in excess, not usable oil during the pandemic and the shutdown. So here we are, all the things we wanted happening at one time. And that was great news back in second quarter, third quarter of 2020. But underneath or behind that tidal wave, has a whole lot of consequences because with one, it's got a balance in life, right? You know, like the old seesaw when you're a kid, you get a heavier kid on one side and a lighter kid on the other side. Well, predominantly the heavier side is going to always weight down that side of the seesaw unless there's a bump or a kick on the heavy kid side of the seesaw that forces him in the air and that sends the skinny kid back to the ground again. We're going to see that happen in the energy business because the energy business was skinny, has been skinny for the last 18 to 24 months. Now, what I want to do is I want to tie this oil and gas conversation with your day-to-day -day life. Now, look, every day you get up from the minute your alarm goes off into the last minute of the day, hopefully brushing your teeth, turning off the light, jumping in the sack, you're using, participating in, consuming, using byproducts from transported by a crude oil barrel that's produced in the United States or at least processed, consumed, delivered here in the U.S. Now, I don't really care about your uh, geopolitics and I don't really care about your uh, environmental politics. Uh, I, I know where I stand. The fact of the matter is, is that we all consume hydrocarbon every single day. I don't care if you're the biggest environmentalist in the world, you're using oil and gas the minute you wake up, touch that computer, touch that phone. So I was looking at, you know, what do real, real millionaires have in their portfolio? And what do they consider to be unique things about them? Now, this is important because remember, I'm, I'm 57. I work with and manage wealthy investors' portfolios. My youngest partners are probably late 30s. My oldest partners are probably in the 80s. It depends on how long they've known me and how long I've known them. My partners in the 80s, I've known for 20 or 30 years. My partners in their late 30s, you know, now I'm older than them. I've only known them maybe a year to three years. I don't know, something like that, right? The key is what? The key is understanding money in life. And that is, how do I make money? How do I make my money make money? And how do I also have respect for my life, build my life, enjoy my life and do that in concert with the money element. Because I know some people, that's all they focus on is money, 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 money. They'll cut their own mother's throat for a dollar. They'll sell their friend out for $2. They will stand around until they suck the last drop of lemon out of the, out of the lemon, the last drop of lemon juice out of the lemon. In other words, nothing matters, but more, 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 more. Think about it. How do some of these billionaires think they're going to be ranked when they die? You know, Jeff Bezos, when he finally croaks over, or, you know, you got Elon Musk, or you got uh, My uh, Michael Dell, you've got uh, Bill Gates, you got all, name all the billionaires you can name. There's so many of them now, I can't even keep up with even, even the top 10. But one day, they're all going to take their last breath, and they're going to look back, and sure enough, they'll only be at that top ranking for a very small period of time before they're overtaken by the next herd of 10 or 20 or 40 multi-100 trillion dollar, you know, billion dollar type of, of, uh, of moguls. So really, that doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the, the common millionaire. <laughs> That's kind of a weird word, right? We want the commonplace millionaire. We want the mobile home millionaire that has less than $25 million. Maybe the guy that only has two or three or $5 million. You say, what do you mean only? Well, remember, you know, the show is talk with the Texan money in life. It's not talk with the Texan poverty in life. I'm mainly listening and trying to work with those who are either working toward being a millionaire they're already a millionaire. They're a millionaire wanting to be a decamillionaire, et cetera. So most of, if not the primary basis of my show, I'm talking to people who are at the leading edge of their, of their uh, industry, leading edge of their income, leading edge of their careers, and they're working toward creating a net worth that does something for their life. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you the following. The average millionaire 
is kind of boring with their investment strategies. They invest in stocks, bonds, real estate, they own their house, a second home, maybe they own their, their office building, maybe they bought five or six uh, you know, rental houses, maybe they threw some cash into an apartment, multifamily fund, maybe they're involved in some publicly traded REITs, and they sit down with their financial advisor, their financial planner, and they go, you know, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? You say, well, you know, you had $4.2 million in the bank, and that's what your net worth looked like, but stock market last year was good. We got up another 18%, so now you got 4400000 Your job was good. Your health is good. You got your life insurance in place, and blah, 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 blah. So everybody just plods along. They make their money. They live their life. They play golf. They go to the country club. They take some vacation. They kiss their kids in the head, and it's, you know, it's good. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's like 17, 18 million millionaires in the United States. And it's growing all the time because there's a lot of tremendous opportunity and the stock market's done well, real estate's done phenomenal the last 13 years. And guess what? Nobody has had to take a step back. Nobody has had to take a big loss, which traditionally happens about every four to seven years. We completely missed at least two cycles. In this, at this point, we're pushing on two cycles of downturns we've missed. In my view, the longest bull run in my career, probably the longest bull run I've seen in, in record since probably you know, 80, 90, 100 years. And it's all based on tremendous income, generation of asset growth, et cetera. So what are, what are the typical legacy alternative investments or assets do what I call the, the real players, the heavy players, the guys who got you know, 10, 20, 30, $50 million or greater in net worth? What do they look to invest in? Now, I'm still going to tell you they're still going to be pretty heavy in stocks and bonds. There's probably going to still be heavy in traditional assets. They're still going to have homes. They're still going to have you know, normal junk and regular investments in their business and blah, blah, blah. But they're also going to be looking at things that now because of their net worth, because of their liquidity, they're going to try and they're going to expose themselves to investments that may be riskier. They may be outside the realm of normal investments, but it's kind of like having a private country club you pay more to have that private country club because you expect more. You participate in hedge funds. You participate in direct commodity transactions. You look for tangible assets like oil and gas minerites, oil and gas wells. You look at private equity and venture capital funds to put a million dollars in because you think that million dollars is going to do better. So the key to this is, is trying to decide, is that something that fits your profile? Now, let's just talk about it like it is. You can be worth a million dollars or more and be called a millionaire, okay? That, very happy for you. You've achieved an accomplishment. Very few people in this country ever get there. Trust me, 18 million out of 360 million people, very few people consider themselves or lucky enough to be considered a millionaire. And that means after all your expenses, pay all your bills, pay everybody off, all your mortgages, your car payments, pay everybody off, liquidate everything, liquidate. And not just that you own it, liquidate it and you have a million dollars. Because a lot of people think they're a millionaire and then until you start liquidating, realizing it's worth 70 cents on the dollar and after you pay off the notes. So when you're a millionaire, it truly means stripped down, everything sold, you have a million dollars or more in, in actual assets left. That's a very elite group. That elite group has to have a, a incentive or a driver to do one of two things, grow those assets beyond where they're at or figure out how to live on those assets because if you're not growing them, they're going to be diminishing based on consumption and based on inflation and based on rising consumer prices. So nothing stays stale. You know, my dad had a saying. He said, son, you can do one of two things in life. You can either be a pond or a river. And I've always thought about this. I'm like, okay, dad, what does that mean? He goes, well, think about a pond. A pond is a low spot. It has temporary supply of fresh water. When that water, that fresh supply gets cut off, that pond no longer is vibrant. It begins to die almost immediately. It starts to dry out, dehydrate. The things that are at the bottom of the pond are things like catfish and bottom feeders and algae and mud. And it's all the things and dead carcasses of animals that got in there. So when that pond finally goes dry, it's got death at the bottom. It's empty. It's gone. It's history. Whereas a river is a constant feed of fresh water. It's vibrant. It's ever-changing. It never stays the same. It floods out of its banks. It, it, it's robust. It's every single, every single movement of that river changes for the least resistant path, and it changes for the greatest potential streamlined movement forward. That's how you want your life to be. So these, 
what I call DECA millionaires or, or what I call top rated millionaires only because they have more assets. When you look at what they invest and they say, you know, if every other millionaire and every other investor can play in the stock market, well, then I really don't have an advantage. What's my real advantage? I can't buy more than them. I mean, I can, but how many shares can I buy to really affect the stock market? I can't. How do I get an arbitrage on the stock market when I've got analysts with algorithms and platforms and programs and computers? And it's tough. I mean, everybody's day trading their buns off and everybody's going, I'm, I'm doing great day trading. Well, that's great. But the key is where I see most, most really successful millionaires, DECA millionaires, is they find an area that they really understand, they really comprehend, and they start to really hone in on the focus. So another little thing that, I, that I've mentioned before on a previous show, but I'll say it again because it's worth listening to, I had a client a long time ago tell me, he said, Troy, you're young. You're going to make a lot of money. You're good. You're going to make a lot of income, and you're going to buy a lot of dumb things. You're going to buy cars, toys, planes, trains, blah, blah, blah. You may even get divorced, so you're going to blow in weddings, et cetera. He said, but at the end of the day, you make a lot of money and you're going to get to be 50. You're not going to have a lot left to show for it in nine out of 10 cases or more. I forgot what he said. But what the end result of his story was, he says, all that income you make, you're not going to have nearly as much left as you think you will because you're going to waste it. So your true net worth, your true value is going to come after you're 50, 50 years old. And after you're 50 years old, at that point in time, you start saying no a lot more. No, thank you. I don't want to do that investment. No, thank you. I don't want to put that money in here. No, thank you. I don't want to go that direction. And you make a lot better decisions because you realize the margin of error has gotten a lot smaller. You don't want to lose money. So preservation of capital has become very high on your list. So what do you do? You shift your strategy. And you say to yourself, like some of these millionaires or decade millionaires saying, I'm going to put so much in stocks and public equity. I'm going to, do, I'm going to have my little foundation but I'm going to look at where I believe I can place a little bit larger money, fewer participants, but the growth potential is pretty substantial and the downside is pretty nominal. So I'm going to reach for a big gain with a minimal or at least a controllable downside to some degree. Again, it's not complete preservation of capital because you got to take more risk to get more reward. When you start investing in private equity, hedge funds, real estate, particularly commodities directly like oil and gas or bacon or orange juice or all the other commodities, you're really taking a bigger risk. But again, you get a much bigger reward. And then tangible assets like oil and gas interest and working interest in wells. So I'm going to move into the part that I'm really good at, which is the oil and gas and drilling and oil and gas wells, right? Now, I want to remind you that I could put, and I'm going to remind you, I'm going to tell you, I, I could put a thousand millionaires, millionaires in a room, do a full hour or two hour presentation on oil and gas. And when I am done, maybe five or 10 of the thousand millionaires in the room are going to stick around and hear level two or the next level to go to to consider investing in oil and gas. Now that's a pretty small percentage. Now why is that? Well, oil and gas has a direct correlation with risk. Now what is the risk? Well, we all know the risk. You can drill dry holes, you know, results can be bad, it's unknown amount of reserves, commodity prices go up and down. So there's a lot of risk, it's pretty much obvious to everybody, but there's a lot more degree of difficulty. The degree of difficulty is the oil and gas industry in the alternative asset space, it really is a very difficult industry to understand. For whatever reason, it doesn't have really easy accessible information online. It doesn't have information online. Like if I wanted to go buy apartment complexes, man, I could just click on 50 pages of information, how to buy apartments, how to refurbish apartments, how to finance apartments, how to buy apartments. I mean, apartment consultants, you name it. You go Google how to invest directly in wells and find consultants, don't exist. Go Google best place to drill oil and gas wells. There's no general consensus. There's, no, there's really no place to even find that information. Go find out what I'd call a normal transaction in oil and gas doesn't exist, not online. So because of the lack of familiarity, because of the lack of easy access to information, most wealthy investors are very, very much unfamiliar with oil and gas. And so they tend to stay away from what they're not familiar with. I get it. It makes sense. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because let me tell you what's about to happen. Here we are coming into a really, really high rising commodity price environment. 
We've got inflation across the country going just headed to double digits. No way to stop it. We've stimulated the economy with so much cash that people are sitting on hordes of cash, buying whatever they want, no matter what the price, sitting at home on the couch, eating potato chips, not working. And the truth of the matter is that is killing the economy because the lack of employment, the lack of discipline on spending is driving up consumer demand that cannot be met because we're over-consuming and under-supplying, so therefore prices are rising. And guess what? That's called Economics 101. So from that standpoint, here we are as a country uh, generating about uh, 11 million barrels a day of oil. That sounds like a lot. It's not, people. It's very little oil, considering we have 336, 340 million people a day consuming oil. We're only making 11 million barrels a day. It's not a lot. We need about 21 million barrels a day. We need almost double what we produce. So we are what's called a net, in, a net import. We import oil because we don't have enough produced here inside the country to supply our needs. And what that has done, it's left us very vulnerable to what I call a global market. I don't call it that. That's what it is. It's a global market. We're, we're at the whim of when Saudi Arabia and Russia decide to throw a little tantrum, pretend tantrum, and flood the market to kill oil prices and wipe out the balance sheets of U.S. oil companies. Okay, they do it. Nothing we can do to stop them. We have a lot of debt. U.S. oil and gas is up their eyeballs in debt, and they're, they're waiting for the public stocks that they have sold out on the New York Stock Exchange or other exchanges. They said, please invest in our company. Believe in us because we're, we need you to get our stock price up so we have more asset value so we can go borrow more money and drill more wells and make more cash flow. The problem with all that is one thing. You're not going to get investors to invest in something they don't understand. So remember, this is talk with the text, and this is money in life. This is not Troy Eckerd pitching oil and gas. This is a sector that most people don't understand. They don't take the time to understand. And I will tell you, it is not. It is not for the faint of heart. It is definitely not for anybody who does not have a net worth over a million dollars. Again, a million dollar net worth exclusive of your home, all your other junk. You can't count your wedding band and all the other stuff. It's a million dollars of investable capital. So truthfully, the oil and gas industry is only really, really available, from my personal opinion and most security laws uh, opinion, you got to be a million dollar plus net worth investor to invest in oil and gas. So we've automatically limited the scope of participating investors to less than 20 million people in this country can afford to or qualify financially to invest in oil and gas. Okay, well, that's, that's the first thing. This is a private country club. If you don't have a million dollars, you're not invited. You can't even get in the front door, right? Well, that's good. So now let's talk about what that looks like. So let's assume the thousand millionaires in the room that I'm talking to, five or 10 say, yeah, I'm a millionaire. And I'm also somebody who doesn't mind getting off the beaten path. I don't have a problem maybe going left or right of the railroad tracks. I want to see what's around the bend. I want to see what's around the trees. I want to see what's over the hill. And they do it because they're confident that their mainstream investment portfolio, the things that make up the bulk of their portfolio, they're confident that that is doing very well, and they don't necessarily need the extra capital <clears throat> that they're considering investing outside the normal realm of their portfolio. So if I'm doing stocks and bonds and real estate, I'm continuing to do stocks and bonds and real estate. I'm liking the returns. I mean, I'm appreciating the asset allocation inside my portfolio. <laughs> Sorry about that. This flu is catching up with me. Then the real the reality is. They look around and say, with the excess capital or liquidity I have, are there other things that I can invest in that might give me better diversification, higher yields, um, spread me out with regard to maybe asset class? Maybe there's some tax reasoning. Maybe there's some financial reasoning that allows me to diversify that makes sense in my portfolio. And as a result of that, they're going to look over that hilltop, around that bend, or over that treetop, and find out what's out there. So, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get on the back half of the show, remind you the number here to dial anytime you want is 866-472-5790. I'm Troy Eckerd. This is Talk with a Texan. And on the second half of the show, what I want to do is talk to you about the different ways you can look at oil and gas, what that does to the economy, and how that is probably going to affect other investments that you own inside your portfolio that can be positively or negatively affected by rising commodity prices, specifically in the oil and gas sector. 
And I think you'll see how some of this is all tied together because money in life is simple. If you don't have money, you have a different kind of life. Maybe good, maybe bad. If you do have a good life, it generally involves some kind of monetary stability that allows you to feed that life. So they go hand in hand, and I don't care what anybody says, you know, money is the root of all evil. Well, then, you know, just call me evil because the fact is, at least with money, I can do something positive with it versus not having money and having zero options. Hey, this is Troy Eckert talking with the Texan Money and Life. We'll be back after the back half of the show. Thanks. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Talk with a Texan, money and life. To reach Troy Eckerd or his guest on the live program, we invite you to call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Troy at talkwiththetexan.com. Now back to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me for the back half of the show. Just to recap a little bit, we've been talking about what millionaires do and how they think, and we've been sharing with you how the funnel of millionaires down to what I consider to be the top tier millionaires, how that takes place and how that changed dramatically the investment decisions that these millionaires make. So in the recap from the front half of the show, let me just tell you where we're at. We're talking about a room full of a thousand millionaires deciding to talk about an alternative investment class about direct ownership in oil and gas and how maybe out of a thousand millionaires, once oil and gas is actually presented as an investment asset class, maybe five or 10 of those thousand millionaires remain in the room. Now, as I was saying earlier, I think it really boils down to a couple of things. You gotta have enough deep pockets or deep enough pockets that you can afford to look at something like alternative investment, but you also have to have the desire. You know, there are certain things I get presented, I just like, you know, I just, I have no interest. I really doesn't appeal to me, don't wanna do it. Uh, don't care how good it looks. It just doesn't resonate with the way I think or the way I like to invest. So I just pretty much don't have any care. That that could be the majority of most millionaires. They just don't care about investing directly in oil and gas. They don't care how easy or how your explanation might be. But what I want to do in this back half of the show is I want to tie a couple of things together. One, as your net worth goes up, as you fulfill the basic fundamentals of your portfolio with those, those cornerstone asset classes, stocks, bonds, real estate, you start looking at the growth of your net worth and the growth of your portfolio. And you start asking yourself, well, now I've kind of got myself an autopilot. 
Um, I've got my investment strategy down. I have probably a little more liquidity or capital than I normally do, or maybe I have some tax strategy, or maybe I have some kind of long-term investment strategy that causes me to say, is there another part of the puzzle I need to be adding to my investment net worth and my investment strategy? And that could be something like buying an alternative investments. And those alternative investments can be, again, in this case, I'm focused on oil and gas because that's what I do for a living. So I, I'm talking about it because I find so many sophisticated investors really have no clue about oil and gas. And it always has made me scratch my head and say, why would you not at least have the curiosity to find out? Whether you ever write a check or invest is one thing, but to know nothing about it and have no care, I'm a pretty inquisitive guy. I at least will listen till I can make the determination it doesn't fit my strategy or my style. But to just say no without listening, I don't know. That's just not how I work. So let me point out a couple of things that are probably obvious to everybody listening. It's always been fairly obvious to me. But there's two things that I've noticed about virtually the majority of the wealthy, high net worth investors I've worked with the last 37 years. The first thing I've noticed is a good percentage. I mean, gosh, I don't even know what that percentage would look like, but I'm talking like way over a majority of the high net worth investors I've worked with and met and, and had the pleasure of being friends with, the majority are self-made. I mean, they were, they did not, were not born with an inheritance. They did not have a million dollars on their birth certificate the day they were born. They sure off went to college, they got degrees and engineers and manufacturers and doctors and lawyers, et cetera. They worked hard, but even within their own industry, they were exceptional in that not only were they successful at their career, they were successful about their investment strategy and their investments. I know a lot of broke doctors. I know a lot of broke lawyers. I know a lot of manufacturers who work their tails off and they're lucky to make a little enough money a year to survive on. So it's always the 80-20 rule, right? 20% make all the money, 20% are the most successful in their particular sector or our industry. So the fact is, is that most of them are so self-made millionaires. The other thing is a good portion, believe it or not, have no college degree or they don't have at least an advanced college degree. I look at that as not a, not a trophy to wear on your shelf or trophy to put on your shelf. It's just a point of fact, which is you don't have to have a college degree to be a millionaire, but it does give you an advantage by having that college degree, in my opinion. I don't have a college degree. I went three years and I dropped out after three years, economics and finance background. I probably today will tell you that's one of the things I regret was not finishing getting that degree. Didn't stop me, didn't slow me down, caused me a little bit of resistance when I was younger, but it was not the end of the day. I have a lot of very, very talented, very well-educated, degreed clients that are phenomenally successful. They were self-made, but they did it because of that degree they had. Now, let's move forward to the, the space I'm talking about, oil and gas. Now, oil and gas has a lot of technical data, but it's a lot more easy to understand than you think it is. Let's start off with the basics. First off, there's three different uh, sectors within the oil and gas industry in the United States. It's broken into three parts, upstream, midstream, and downstream. Now, I'm going to let you think about a river. At the headwaters, at the beginning, is upstream. Everything upstream is what originates the flow or the source of oil and gas coming out of the ground. So that's shooting seismic. That's prospect generation. That's land, title, and lease. That's mineral acquisitions. That's budgeting, exploration, production, equipment, everything involved in the industry of oil and gas that involves the procurement, extraction, exploration for oil and gas in the country. That's upstream. Midstream is everything that occurs from the time that oil and gas flows out of that wellhead until it gets to be at a processing point. So if I've got a well in West Texas and I'm producing oil and gas from and as soon as I have a six inch gathering line, gathering the gas, the crude oil, that becomes a midstream asset opportunity. I can invest in that pipeline, that gathering line. I've got saltwater disposal, I got gas gathering, I got electrical uh, supply, I've got a fresh water supply, I've got a truck it, haul it, ship it, pipe it, process it, sort it. There's all kinds of midstream uh, activity going on from the wellhead until it gets to some kind of a refining or processing point. When it gets to the refinery or processing point, once it changes from raw mixed material, that process forward until it gets to the actual consumer is considered the downstream. Now, I'm giving you a little education on that because I want to tell you a couple of things. What I noticed is that specifically right now, uh, the U.S. has been in 
I consider to be fairly high tax rates. I mean, we're probably one of the highest taxed countries in the world. And so me, every other guy, every other gal out there that has a good job, has good income, we're always figuring out ways, how do we keep more of our money, put it to work, invest more instead of just paying it to the federal government, we know they're going to just waste and give it away. So what we do is we tax plan and we figure out how do we use oil and gas possibly to help us reduce those tax liabilities because we want to follow the law. We want to do what the IRS has allowed us. We want to take advantage of those rules that have been put forward. What doesn't matter whether it's Democrat or Republic, there's rules and regulations from the IRS that says, here's what you can do to pay less taxes if you'll handle your money a certain way. Now we do that. In oil and gas, it's a little different. Because we're taking money and investing it from our income, and we're deciding to explore. Anytime you put a well, a well in the ground, it's exploratory because you don't know where the oil and gas is, not 100%. You don't know the quantity 100%. You don't know the rate of extraction. So it's always considered expiration. So the IRS gives you a big tax writer. They give you essentially under the current tax rules in 2021, they give you 100% of what you invest in drilling or exploring for a well as a write-off. Now, most of you who are listening who have high income are going, oh my gosh, I can put in a half million dollars and get a half million dollar reduction off my federal income tax. Yeah, you can reduce your taxable income dollar for dollar what you invest in expiration. Remember, go seek your own advice from your own CPA, your own lawyer, your own financial planner. I'm not giving you advice. I'm giving you generic conversation about what exists out there, okay? That's my disclaimer. The problem is when you think about it functionally, an alternative investment being made by you is exactly that. It's an alternative. I mean, it's, it's a subsidy. It's something other than the norm. Well, there are a lot of unscrupulous characters praying that your, un, your desire to get those tax write-offs is stronger than your common sense. They're hoping that you listen to a romantic story, that you buy into their inflated numbers, you buy into their embellished rationale and reasoning, and you forget your common sense, and you turn around and participate in the drilling of a well or two wells or several wells, and you do it with a company that you know very little about, and you write your check, bank wire your money, and here you are six months later, you're waiting for your revenue to start. The revenue is either not there. They don't answer the phone. The revenue does start. You calculate it out and say, if I live to be 800 years old, I might get my money back. I should have just paid the taxes and on and on and on. So what I want to remind you is it is an incredibly profitable business to be in oil and gas if you do it right and you're successful. It offers a tremendous upside in terms of cash flow, tax management, it gives you long-term asset growth potentially if commodity prices rise. It is definitely an alternative investment in that it doesn't necessarily correlate with public markets. Like right now today, the stock market is struggling and yet oil prices are up almost 100% in the last uh, 12 months. Natural gas is up, up like 120, 140% in the last 12 months. So here you have commodity prices really doing well and yet public equities are starting to become a lot more weak and vulnerable. And it's really a correlation because when you have higher energy costs, it costs more to produce all those goods and it costs more to transport them and you either have to raise your prices, but if you can't raise prices, your profit margins go down. So what I'm noticing and what I see for you and I to think about in our strategy is first off, is oil and gas something you want to learn about? If it is, you got to make a conscious effort for that decision. The second thing is once you decide you want to be in oil and gas, you got to decide where do you want to be? Do you want to try to find um, public uh, oil and gas companies to invest in? Do you want to invest in um, MLPs, Master Limited Partnerships on the New York Stock Exchange that uh, handle pipelines, saltwater wells, and other assets approved to be inside MLPs and get those dividend checks? Or are you really, truly that hardcore alternative investor that five or 10 out of the million go, no, no, I want to own it directly. I don't want to be in a fund. I don't want to be in the public exchange. I don't need an MLP. I want to be in the deal. I want to own my own interest, et cetera. And if that's true and that's where you want to be, then probably I'm more resonating with you in this particular show than anybody else because I'm saying to you, look, here's the way I feel about it. I've always been driven by tax write-offs because if I can get the tax write-off, it gives me the ability to use the tax dollars I was going to pay the IRS to try to make a good investment. And I think I can invest money better than the IRS. If the IRS gets their money, that's a zero return. They get it. I don't get to use it. It's gone. So if I can use tax deductions in oil and gas, and I can use that in order to hold on to those dollars, invest them in approved tax deductible 
asset class investing, like expiration domestically, then that means if I pick the right wells and I'm successful, I pick the right oil company, I can take, let's say, $100,000 I would have paid the IRS. I can take that and maybe turn it into two or $300,000 by investing it prudently in expiration. But now let me give you the downside. Do not drill vertical wells. I don't care what anybody tells you. you drill a if you hear this show and you drill a vertical well after this, you absolutely deserve to lose your money. I'm telling you, your chances of hitting a good vertical well that make your money back, it's probably less than 10%. Your chance of drilling a vertical well that gets your money back and makes you two to one of your money, it's probably less than 3%. And I don't care what they tell you. And I don't care what geologists, and I don't care who they're offsetting, Shell, Exxon, or Major. If you drill a vertical well and participate after listening to the show, you deserve to lose your money. I'm telling you that right now. I've been doing this for almost 37 years. You deserve a dry hole, an uneconomic well, and you will get your deduction, but it'll be 100% loss. So you're not going to make back your money. You'll get your 30-something percent tax deductible investment from your tax savings, and you'll lose the rest of your money or some or part or all. That gets worse than that, by the way. When you invest in a well as a direct working interest owner, in order for you to get that tax deduction, it has to be joint and several liability. That means when you invest your fifty dollars or $100,000 in the well and everybody else decides to go broke or not pay their bill, the oil company operator who's acting as the general contractor is going to look at each participant in the well and go, who's not broke? Who has money? Who's left standing? We're going to send them their proportionate share of the other participants who are not paying the bills and who've either gone bankrupt or walked away. Now, I know that firsthand. I've been doing this for 37 years. I can't tell you how many wells I plug where I own three, four, eight percent and I end up paying 20, 30, 50. In one case, I paid 100% of the plugging cost because I was the only one that wasn't broke. So I end up paying for 100% of plugging a well that I owned up, you know, five, 10% in. So it goes beyond just the tax runoff. It goes to the liability, it goes to the exposure, it goes to the disproportionate share of cost, expenses, and liability. So there's a lot more to it than just your tax deduction. Now, if you are going to participate in drilling, that's fine. But I want you to think about it as a deferment, not a deduction. The truth is, if I'm going to go drill a well, I want to look at the economics, the financial prosperity of that well. I want to know it's going to make money. So my number one priority is, is the well going to work? And does it have enough capacity in day-to-day -day production and reserves in the ground to pay me back my money invested? Forget the tax rub. I want 100% of my money back. And I want to make some multiple or, or yield on that money. That's my first consideration because a dry hole gets the same tax write-offs as a good well. A dry hole costs the same as a good well. I want to focus only on wells I think are going to be economically viable because the tax write-offs are a given. So if I'm going to drill today, I'm going to drill in a, a non-conventional horizontal shale well. Now, <clears throat> there's good areas, there's bad areas, but Remember, I'm not trying to sell you on oil and gas. I'm trying to give you education and information like I do in all my shows about what you need to do to balance your money in your life. In this case, I'm talking to that very specific class of investors, that 5 or 10% who have enough net worth, who have enough liquidity, who have enough income. They're looking for investments like this so you can kind of make sure you stay out of the, out of the ditches. So I'm going to give you a few little tidbits because... Again, a good well and a bad well, doesn't matter. You get the same tax rate. So let's get that as a in the box, check the box, it's a given. Let me give you some red flags because what I can't stand is I've got partners that call me and say, hey, I want to see what you think about this company, this company, this company. I go, okay, you got three companies. Are you thinking about investing with them? Oh, no, I already did it. What do you mean you already did it? Well, what good does it do to ask me if you've already jumped out of the airplane for a parachute? You're already out. Well, I invested with them six months ago, a year ago, or I didn't want to ask you because I feel like I'd be cheating on you because I didn't invest with you. I'm like, I don't care where you invest your money. I mean, I, I think you should ask your friend for advice. You should ask me for what I think because when I do these evaluations, I'm not kidding you. It's 9.5 out of 10 times. I'll say that guy's a felon. That guy has cease and desist orders by the SEC. That guy has 15 lawsuits. That guy's a known crackhead because the industry is wrought with bad actors. And all of a sudden, you have investors that invested two or three, four hundred thousand dollars across five companies, and they invest with five crooks. They go, "Man, I think the oil and gas industry is a, is a horrible business." No, you're a horrible due diligence person. You're not a very prudent investor. You didn't take enough care and concern to do the most basic Google search because I did it in five minutes and found all this data out on these guys. If I didn't know them already, what are the red flags you should look for? Well, it's simple. <clears throat> in today's world with the internet, if you pull a company up. And on their website or in the most basic Google search, like 
who are the owners or principals of XYZ Oil Company? And you can't find that on the first page or their homepage or their webpage. You need to run as fast as you can. There is only one reason in today's world you're not front and center telling people who you are, where you are, Zoom meetings, face-to-face. I mean, there is every possible way of knowing who you're investing with. When I look up a web, an oil company's website and I can't find the principles, I can't Google, I can't find a corporation or WikiLeak or anything else, I cannot find them. They've done that on purpose. They're hiding because they don't want anybody to know who they are because why? Their background, their criminal background, their SEC violations, if you found out, you'd be dealing with Al Capone, if you will, on some of those people, right? So the first thing is find out who you're dealing business with. Second thing is don't be focused on the taxes, focus on the income. So when they talk to you about tax write-offs, go, great, I can get a tax write-off from anybody. Now let's talk about your investment. Well, but you know, you get the tax rate. And if you use the tax write-offs, you can get you. No, no, no. I don't want to I don't care about tax write-offs. Tell me what you're doing in the investment you're offering me that makes me money. Convince me I can make money with this. Well, that's all I care about is making money. I don't care about tax write-offs. I get a tax write-off, whether it's a good well or dry hole. All I want to know is how you can tell me why that's going to be a good well. When they offer you a turnkey drilling, you have to be very leery because the IRS can come back and say it was not a turnkey drilling, meaning a fixed cost to go drill a well, so you feel comfortable you're not exposed. Well, if it's a turnkey fixed cost drilling, the IRS may determine that you're not at risk. They may say you weren't at risk. You were at risk for a certain amount, but not all of it, and the turnkey meaning the price paid above the actual cost was really a fee that you paid to the promoter. You need to check with your, your CPA and your tax experts to find out if that's true or not. Now, why do they do a turnkey? Why does a, why does a promoter do a turnkey? Well, let's just say it's ABC Oil Company out of uh, Addison, Texas, and they want to take 10% of a well with a major company so they can tell everybody they're partnering with a major oil company. They're in a big field. They got 10%. They're going to take 10% of the 10%. So they're putting their money where their mouth is. You and the other clients are buying 9%. Well, that well costs $5 million. They got to put up 500,000 for their 10%. They're going to charge you the equivalent of a million to $2 million. They're going to charge you two to 400% markup. Now, why would they do that? Well, because that's what they're in the business. They're not in the business of finding oil and gas. They're in the business of making cash off of you and putting it in their pocket. And they really don't care if that well ever works or not. The second thing you have to think about is, is that the reason they double or triple it? What would you do? If I'm going to go drill a well that could easily have mechanical problems or failures, I'm not giving you a turnkey fixed cost if it's not at least twice the price. Because if it does go bad or there's a drilling accident as far as the, the drill bit splits or the casing splits or the drill bit gets stuck, the fact of the matter is I need to know that I charge you enough that I can financially afford to go drill the second time to honor the contract. So you know it's going to be at least a two to one and most likely a three to one because I want the one-to-one -one extra to cover the mistake if it happens. And I want the other one-to-one -one in my pocket for cash for being a nice guy and selling you the investment. You need to find out if it's a turnkey. And then you say, thank you very much for the turnkey. I want to know what your turnkey profit is. I want to see the actual bill for the well. It's called a budget, AFE, authority for expenditure. Show me the budget, tell me what it costs, and I'm going to see what your profit is. If it's a well that's going to make three times the money and they've charged you three times the money to participate, it's basically, a, it's Ponzi scheme. It falls under the uh, RICO Act as a racket. They're, they're selling an investment that doesn't work and you're sitting there buying it. Now, look, you got to find out what the front end load is. What does that mean? All right, I go buy a car for $1,000 and I tell you I'm going to sell it to you for $2,000, but there's a lien on it for $1,500 and blah, blah, blah. You have no chance by the way the thing's being sold to not only own it correctly, you're not going to own all of it, but you're going to own more debt than you have in equity in the car. The way they front end load these oil and gas ventures is they take the, the lease they got from the mineral owner. They then carve off three, four, five, 10% free for themselves. They never pay a cost. They take the well cost, double or triple it. They give themselves a free interest in the well, 10, 20% right up front or as soon as the well hits uh, the completion phase. And so when you run the math on it, you're spending $5 million like the example I gave you a while ago but it really is costing almost $15 million by the time you gross the well cost up. And when you look at the pie, you go, well, I should have got something, some part of 75 or 85% of the pie after the mineral owners took their share. It looks like I'm only getting 60% of the pie or the other 15 or 20% go. They kept it. The promoter kept it. So not only are you getting gouged to death on the fees and the cost and the markup, you're now also getting the smallest share of the pie for the most promote. And you don't even know it. I want you to also remember, most important, you're exposed to liability. 
environmental, drilling, cost overruns, default, bankruptcy. Let me tell you, since 1985, I've watched it. I've watched companies go bankrupt. I've watched companies go high and dry. I've watched companies deliberately form LLCs with a specific intent. When it gets time to plug wells or abandon, they simply take the LLC into bankruptcy and they avoid paying all their costs and all their shares, even though you know they've siphoned the money out and they're not bankrupt. You better know who you're getting in bed with. So I'm going to give you a couple of uh, websites I think are real important. One is uh, called Broker Check, which is at FINRA.org, F-I-N-R-A.org, which is the licensed broker dealer in the country. It also is tied to the SEC website. And a lot of times, even though they may not be licensed brokers, they may be registered with the SEC as far as registered in different states. But effectively, if they're not in that system, I'd be pretty leery, good or bad, because, well, who are you tied with? How are you selling securities? How are you selling without having an exemption, a registration, or at least being registered with the SEC or as a FINRA licensed broker because you're charging fees in a markup? And they're not selling their own asset. They're brokering a deal. They don't own it. They're brokering it. So because they're doing that, they should be registered with the SEC or with FINRA. You look up on that site, <clears throat> if they don't have it, you got a problem. You can also go to investor.gov, www.investor.gov, same thing, broker check, I read the whole nine yards with, with the government. Look, every single show, my goal is to leave you with food for thought and get your brain working. This is not about oil and gas. This is the same thing that applies to every investment. Cannabis, Bitcoin, crypto, stocks, um, cattle business. I mean, now carbon sequestration is huge. I'd leave this show with, with my, my greatest hope that what you'll do is use your common sense. Don't become enamored with the short-term potential gratification of a tax write-off, but ask yourself, how do I imitate and follow the top 5 or 10% of all millionaires by learning how to invest in alternative investments or at least thinking outside the box so I'm not in this mainstream sheep path where everybody's continuing to go. This show is always something that's going to be innovative and talking about subjects you're not going to hear from other show hosts. The show is called Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. I'm Troy Eckerd. You can always reach me at Troy, Talk with the Texan. And the fact of the matter is I always can be reached at 866-472-5790. I had a great time. Hope you enjoyed the show. Look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks so much. Thanks to all our incredible friends for joining Troy for today's show, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Please join your host, Troy Eckert, for another edition of the program every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Troy, engage him, challenge him, but most importantly, listen to him. Three decades of expertise at your disposal. We'll see you here next week.